Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs took it to the Texas Longhorns last year in the kennel behind 37 points from Drew Timmy, but Chris Beard's team is deep, they are experienced, and they are going to be ready for the Zags this time around. So, how the heck is this game going to play out? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, it is game day. For many of you, as you are listening to this on Wednesday, November 16th, the Zags are in Texas to take on Chris Beard's Longhorn squad, the return game in a home-and-home established last year. First time around, the Zags easily handled Texas. It was one of Chris Beard's very first games as the head coach at Texas. They seemed to be a bit disorganized, and Gonzaga took full advantage. Mostly Drew Timmy took full advantage, dropped 37 points in that one. This is going to be a bit different go-round, so I want to talk here in the first segment about who Texas is, the newness, the differences, what we can expect from them based on their first couple of games this season. We're then going to talk about some five key things that I want to see from the Zags in this game, things that will help ensure that they pick up another victory heading into that big game against Kentucky on Sunday. We're going to close out the show looking around the WCC at some other big games that some of the teams in the conference have coming up this week. But first, let's meet the Longhorns. They are currently 2-0 and on the season, like most teams at uh, this stage in the year, they haven't played anybody particularly notable. Their two wins are over UTEP and Houston Christian. They held Houston Christian to 31 points, which has helped elevate their defense, which to be clear is very, very good. But it has elevated their defense to being the number one team in the country per Ken Palm. And in fact, they are ranked Right now is the number two team in the country at Ken Palm. That may not hold for very long, but so far they have held that mantle with excellent defense. This is a very experienced team, a very, very athletic team, not a particularly tall team, which is going to be a significant factor when we look at what Drew Timmy is going to be capable of doing against this team. Their tallest rotation player is 6'9", so Drew Timmy might be able to have a field day there, but this is a very athletic team. Uh, freshman Dylan Mitchell is a budding superstar, a guy who could be a first-round potential lottery pick in the NBA draft. He's going to be a load for this team, but primarily their scoring comes from veteran guys. Tyrese Hunter was a huge addition for this squad. They picked him up in the transfer portal out of Iowa State. He is currently averaging 14.6 boards and two assists. Hunter was a prominent Gonzaga target before they ended up landing on Malachi Smith, We knew the Zags were going to pursue at least a guard via the transfer portal. This was before we knew what was going to happen with Rasir Bolton and Julian Strother. It looked like they might end up adding multiple guards out of the transfer portal. Hunter was one of the players they were looking for, a kind of a a follow-up to Rasir Bolton in a sense of, can they get another small but very talented guard from Iowa State to commit to coming out west and joining the Zags? Uh, Of course, Hunter ended up going to Texas and has had a very nice start to the season for them. 
They also picked up a transfer from New Mexico State, Serjabari Rice. Uh, he is having a really, really nice start to the season for them as well. 12 and a half points. He's their second leading scorer. Uh, Rice came over from New Mexico State, was kind of expected to be more of a kind of a depth player, maybe sixth, seventh guy, a vaguely similar role to what Malachi Smith is filling for the Zags. Uh, instead, he's been their best scorer again, or second leading scorer, I should say, two games into the season, two not particularly notable opponents. So probably not something to look into too much. But for the Zags, Rice was a big oversized guard. He's got some physicality in his game. He pushed people around in the whack last year. He's also shooting 50% from deep. Again, two games, but he was a good three-point shooter previously, so a guy to kind of watch in that range. Uh, beyond that, though, Texas is a really balanced scoring team. They got 11.5 points from Marcus Carr, 9.5 points from Timmy Allen. Those two guys were big parts of what this team did last year. They're back, and I think that's really one of the biggest selling points for Texas right now. Last year's team didn't have a lot of continuity, didn't have a lot of cohesion. They brought in a bunch of transfers. I think... Six of their rotation players on last year's roster were transfers, and Gonzaga played them really early in the year. They just hadn't had time to gel, and Gonzaga made them pay in that game. That is not going to be the case this time. Yes, Tyrese Hunter is new. Yes, of course, Serge Barry Rice is new, as we talked about. And, of course, the two freshmen, Dylan Mitchell and Arterio Morris, are both going to be big contributors in this game. So there's still some newness, some rawness, some guys who are still getting used to each other a little bit. But by and large, a lot of the most experienced guys on this roster, guys who could conceivably help bring down the Zags, guys like Marcus Carr, guys like Timmy Allen, guys like Dylan Disu. All these guys were here last year. They're here again this year. They remember how that game went, and they're going to be ready to take it to the Zags. Now, we mentioned the height being perhaps the biggest hole for Texas right now in terms of how are they going to beat the Zags. The easiest way to beat Gonzaga is to not let Drew Timmy do whatever he wants down low. When your tallest guy is 6'9", yes, they have some athleticism and they have some guys who just because they aren't as tall as Drew Timmy doesn't mean they're incapable of guarding him. But let's be honest, it's really hard for anybody to guard Drew Timmy. And if you're giving up an inch and a half or two inches to him, there's a pretty good chance he's going to make you pay for that. So that's going to be a big part of this game. The other thing for Texas, not only do they have a bit of a, a height issue, especially in the front court, but they are not a good outside shooting team. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're really bad. So again, very small sample size, but they're shooting. They've only made seven threes. They've only made seven threes so far this season. They're shooting under 20% from deep. That is good for 353rd in the nation, of course. We talked about this with Gonzaga in their first game against North Florida when they didn't take all that many threes. They didn't take all that many threes against Michigan State in their second game. So their outside shooting hasn't exactly looked like the strength when in reality, looking at Gonzaga's roster, looking at the previous career performances of Rasir Bolton and Julian Strother and Malachi Smith, and even the kind of expected production that you might get from a guy like Nolan Hickman, you can see how this team is, is not as bad of a three-point shooting team as the numbers have bared out so far this season. A lot of that can probably be said for Texas as well, although quite frankly, this is probably not going to be a significant strength for the Longhorns. They they, ha they don't have a lot of just knockdown peer outside shooters on the roster. So for Gonzaga, forcing Texas to shoot from deep, pounding the ball to Drew Timmy, those are obviously some of the most significant keys for the game. We're going to talk about some more keys to this game, what I think Gonzaga absolutely needs to do and needs to avoid in order to secure a victory heading into that game against Kentucky. Before we chat about that, though, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. 
These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. You just start by adding your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still in patents, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, five key things that I will be watching for. Gonzaga vs. Texas, Wednesday night. In Austin, it's going to be an absolute barn burner. It's going to be another gritty, tough, challenging game for Mark Few. This is what he wanted. This is what the Zags are prepping for, is having multiple really challenging games in a short period of time, because guess what happens in the NCAA tournament? You play multiple really tough games in a short period of time, so it's good to replicate that as much as possible. This is going to be a really tough one. The number one key, it's going to be the key to basically every victory or game period that the Zags play this season, get the dang ball to Drew. And I think what Michigan State taught us what that game showed us as Gonzaga fans and hopefully the coaching staff and the players too, is it just doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter how you get him the ball. Gonzaga in the first half of that game was very, very regimented in continuing to run their sets, their ball screen offense. They were trying to get, they they wanted to get Drew the ball because that's what their offense is designed to do, but they were trying to do it that way. And what Michigan State was able to do clog the paint, take away those ball screen actions, and give Gonzaga the shots from deep that that offense is designed to do. Gonzaga got open looks from three because the offense is designed to get them for him, and Michigan State was worried far more about what was happening in the paint. Gonzaga got those shots. They took those shots. They didn't make those shots. So in the second half, they pretty much just brought the ball down the court and immediately found a way to get it in Drew Timmy's hands. Hopefully they will be able to more effectively run their offense in this game. I think that the extenuating circumstances of the Michigan State game clearly are not going to apply here. And the inability to shoot consistently from beyond the arc is not going to be an issue. But ultimately, just get him the ball. Get him him the ball in situations where he can score. Gonzaga has been very good at that for the last three years. Drew Timmy has gotten better at better at getting open, at being more comfortable getting the ball 
16, 17, 18, 19 feet away from the rim and still being able to either attack or create or even pass out of it and reestablish position. All of that stuff are skills that he has or skills the players on Gonzaga's roster has. So in this game, when Texas's guards are long and athletic and they're going to apply a whole bunch of pressure on Gonzaga's backcourt, when Gonzaga doesn't hasn't really established a consistent rhythm of running their offense, when both those things are factors and Texas doesn't have a single player over 6'9 who's going to play in this game. You should just be focusing on getting Drew the ball and securing yourself a victory. It's maybe not the prettiest offense. And again, hopefully they don't abandon the offense entirely. I don't think that that will be the case. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing that they can do to ensure a victory here is make sure that as many possessions as humanly possible involve Drew Timmy touching the basketball. The next key for this game is really going to be how the guards and specifically how Nolan Hickman respond to the pressure that the Longhorns are going to put on the backcourt. Since Gonzaga lost to Baylor in the 2021 National Championship, it has been a known and oft-discussed talking point about playing Gonzaga is you can beat them by putting a ton of pressure on their guards. We saw Alabama do it. We, of course, saw Baylor do it. We saw Bellarmine and Tarleton State do it in ways where they didn't pull off victories, but they put a lot of pressure on Gonzaga and made it a lot more difficult. We saw Memphis attempt to do it before Gonzaga kind of picked up a second gear in the second half of that one. We, of course, saw Michigan State do it on Friday on Veterans Day. So you can bet Texas is going to do it. You can bet they have the athleticism, they have the length, they have the depth in the backcourt to be able to put a ton of pressure on Gonzaga's ball carriers. As soon as they cross half court, as soon as they try to set up the offense, they're going to put pressure on him. For Nolan Hickman, this is a big test. How does he respond to this? He didn't look great in the Michigan State game. He made some bad decisions. He had some costly turnovers that were unnecessary. His final possession of the first half was a particularly egregious one. That does not mean that he is incapable of responding positively to this stuff. He absolutely can, and he absolutely should be given the opportunity to do so. But how he responds unquestionably is a huge part of what happens for the Zags the rest of the season. It's really important that Nolan Hickman be a guy who can be comfortable running the offense every single game. And right now, we just don't know if he is. He didn't do it a lot as a freshman. Even though he played consistently in his first year, he was often playing off the ball because Andrew Nembhard just played so many dang minutes uh, in his final season. He was playing 33, 34 minutes per game that a lot of Hickman's minutes came in more of a secondary role. Now, that's not the case. He's on the floor. He is the primary ball handler, the guy getting Gonzaga into the offense. And now he's got to do it after a really tricky situation against Michigan State. He's got to do it against a really long, really athletic backcourt in in Texas and how he responds to that is going to tell us a lot about where he is as a player right now and what Gonzaga may need to do differently uh, if that's the case going forward. A couple other notes for the Zags and this game. Uh, Another thing that Michigan State effectively took away from Gonzaga that you can bet Texas will attempt to take away as well is their ability to get out in transition and score that way. Michigan State did incredible at this, and maybe there was some factors, some considerations with the uh, aircraft carrier, but honestly, I'm not sure that that was a particularly, that that situation was caused very much by the actual the situation in the game. I think Michigan State just game planned aggressively to, hey, we're going to hustle back in transition. We're not going to let Gonzaga get easy buckets this way. 
Other teams are going to try that. Gonzaga has made a living on getting a lot of their offense out in transition. They got plenty of steals. They got plenty of takeaways against Michigan State. They did that well against North Florida as well. But Michigan State, when they did turn the ball over, was often able to prevent Gonzaga from getting easy buckets. Texas is going to try the same thing. If they're successful and Gonzaga is not successful at getting out in transition and getting a lot of points that way, it's just going to put a lot more pressure on the half-court offense and, frankly, a lot more pressure on Drew Timmy in order for this team to secure a victory. Next big key for the Zags, a big key whenever you play a really tough road environment, tune out the noise. And for Gonzaga, they just don't play that many of these games. I think it is huge, critical, important, a big step for this program that they are playing a true road game in a nasty road environment this early in the season. This is unusual. This is unusual for Gonzaga. It's unusual for a lot of big name programs. It's great for college basketball. We can talk about that at length because I love true road environments. I don't like prominent games being at neutral sites. Obviously, there are some circumstances where they're great. Playing on an aircraft carrier, while there's pros and cons to that, but celebrating Veterans Day, giving servicemen and women a chance to see that game, that's fantastic. No arguments there. And of course, like MTEs and and big events like the Phil Knight Invitational in Bahamas and everything like that, fantastic. Even stuff like Jerry Colangelo Classic in Phoenix, like I don't mind that stuff, but by and large, I think college basketball is better when really, really good non-conference games happen at the opposing team's arena. We've talked about that a lot with John Calipari in Kentucky. We will ignore that for now because we can focus on the fact that Chris Beard in Texas, they did do it. They did come to the kennel. They went all the way to Spokane, Washington and lost in the kennel. You can bet they want to give that right back to Gonzaga here on a Wednesday night packed house. It's going to be an absolute riot. And Gonzaga's got to be ready for that noise. They got to be ready to tune it out when they make mistakes. When Texas goes on a little run, a 6-0, 8-0, 10-0 run, which will happen most likely in this game and that place is about to blow, Gonzaga's got to find a way to adjust to that and still find a way to get back into that game. Finally, last point I want to talk about here, can Efton Reed and Anton Watson avoid foul trouble? There was a lot of whistles in the Michigan State-Gonzaga game. I don't think it was a particularly poorly officiated game. I think that there was a lot of whistles in part because there was a lot of slipping and a lot of sliding and a lot of situations where players were just committing more fouls because of that. I also think Gonzaga got on their heels a lot. Uh, in many situations, the post players like Reed, like Watson, like Drew Timmy committed fouls that were in part because the front court, or excuse me, the back court players weren't playing particularly good defense, allowing guards to get free reign to drive to the basket. That puts a lot more pressure on the post players. In those situations, sometimes they commit fouls. But in a game where there's nobody over 6'9 for Texas, how many minutes we can get out of Efton Reed, how productive he can be, that's a big part of this game. Anton Watson's going to play his minutes. He's probably going to start as he has been starting. He's going to play his 20 to 25 minutes in this game. He has rarely been a significant offensive contributor, but he's a phenomenal defensive player. What he brings on that end of the floor is critical for the Zags' success, so you need those minutes out of him. Reed, you can get away with not as many minutes, and I think that There's actually a a strong argument for Gonzaga playing more small ball lineups in this game. Have Julian Strother spend most of his game at most of this game at the four. Play some combination of your five guards at the one, two and three spot. Create room for Drew Timmy to operate down low. Put three or four shooters on the floor alongside him and let him go to work. If that's what Gonzaga does, great. 
Totally no problems with that. But there's a legitimate argument for also finding an opportunity to let Efton Reed get four or five touches down low every time he's in the game, get opportunities to score, establish himself more in the offense, grow as a as a Gonzaga post player. We've seen that, you know, the, the development machine for Gonzaga Biggs has been tremendous under Mark Few for decades. For at least the last 10 years, it's been just otherworldly good. And part of that is getting these guys opportunities to play in tough games. Efton Reed spent a whole season at LSU. He's played a lot of good basketball teams already in his career. He is not completely new to this, but this is going to be his second chance to play a really good opponent while a member of Gonzaga's offense and learning how how everything works in this offensive set. I think this could be a potential breakout game for him if he can stay uh, out of foul trouble and can stay on the court. I think he could put up some really nice numbers here. But I also see an opportunity for the Zags to say, hey, maybe this is an Efton's game with the athleticism this team has. We're going to go with a small ball lineup, space the floor, and just give Drew as much room as possible for him to go to work. Now we're going to come back in the third and final segment of the show. We know that Gonzaga and Texas is the biggest WCC game of the week. Of course, Gonzaga and Kentucky kicking off next week as well. But there are a lot of other really good WCC games on the docket. Want to talk about those and what they could mean for Gonzaga down the stretch. But first, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three, we're talking WCC hoops. It's Wednesday after all, WCC Wednesday is back. I want to highlight some of the best upcoming games for West Coast Conference teams this week, uh, just so we can get an opportunity to potentially throw these games on when Gonzaga's not playing, get a chance to see what types types of teams Gonzaga's going to face as the conference season comes around, and really potentially see if there's some opportunities for them to pick up some marquee wins and potentially raise the level of the WCC heading into conference play. First game I wanted to highlight is a fun California-based a non-conference game between the San Francisco Dons and Fresno State Bulldogs. It is also on the 16th, so it'll be going on a little bit after Gonzaga's game against Texas. A good one to throw on after the game. Decompress a little bit. Uh, currently, it is a matchup between the Ken Palm 98th-ranked Dons and Ken Palm 111th-ranked Fresno State Bulldogs. So a very, very close game between two very solid programs. Uh, USF is 3-0 on the year. Fresno State is 1-1. One one. They got their win over Fresno Pacific. Their loss was to Big West UC Santa Barbara Gauchos. Uh, the big question here is just can USF move to 4-0 in the Chris Gerlifson era? After Todd Golden departs to Florida, guess what? Golden's already got a loss with the Florida Gators. They lost an ugly one to Florida A&M. USF still undefeated. Khalil Shabazz has looked excellent for them uh, as a returning piece in the backcourt. Uh, it'll be a really fun game to see how they can play against Fresno State on Wednesday. The next game also on Wednesday, so a three-game day for the WCC. Three big ones. This is Missouri State at BYU. 
BYU. BYU is 57th in Ken Palm right now. Missouri State is 139th. So it shouldn't be too much of an, uh, an ask for BYU to move to 3-0 and on the year. But they've, it's really been a tale of two seasons for BYU. It's really early in the year, so calling them two separate seasons may seem a little bit dramatic. But for folks who watched BYU against Idaho State and BYU against San Diego State, they looked like a different team. They were really close to being able to pull that one out against the Aztecs. We knew that was going to be a tough one for them, but they played them really well, led for most of the game. Meanwhile, we're down for most of the game against a very lowly Idaho State team. Only scored 60 in that game. The offense is really, really inconsistent right now for the Cougars. Interesting to see who in Mark Pope's backcourt steps up. Rudy Williams, Coastal Carolina transfer, has not been that guy up to this point so far. Fusini Traore, they, their sophomore forward, has been fantastic, but they need more from other guys on that team. We will see how they look against Missouri State on the 16th. Two more fun games coming later in the week. Uh, Utah State at San Diego is scheduled for the 17th on Thursday. That's a really, really fun game. Another Mountain West versus WCC game after USF and Fresno State. Uh, Give me all of the WCC versus Mountain West games. I would love for that to be a consistent matchup between those two sides. There's been a lot of debate among Gonzaga fans about whether the Mountain West is a significant upgrade for the WCC or not. Certainly, the WCC without BYU takes a significant hit in that regard, but getting to see more of these kinds of matchups definitely helps us feel a little bit more confident about whether the WCC can actually hang with the Mountain West or not. Right now, Utah State is just inside the top 50 per Ken Palm. They are 48th. San Diego just inside the top 150. They are 148th right now. Both teams are 3-0. and Utah State's wins, as you would expect, look a little bit better. They picked up a win over Utah Valley, a win over Bradley, and then a big win. I think it was a 20 or 18-point victory over Santa Clara. Uh, So that's where Utah State is. The Toreros under Steve Lavin, their new coach, have wins over Sonoma State, Florida Gulf Coast, who incidentally beat USC in their first game, and then NJIT. Uh, The big question here is just can can San Diego and Steve Lavin move to 4-0, which would be a huge step for the program, and of course picking up a victory over a Ken Palm top 50 team. Uh, this is going to be a really fun game. Steve Lavin's squad, Jaden Delaire out of Stanford, hasn't quite been himself yet, but is a really nice piece for them. Eric Williams, transfer out of Oregon, is a nice piece as well. Uh, this is a team that I think could could make some noise in the WCC. I, I think they got a lot of hype kind of as soon as, as Lavin took over and they brought in some of their transfers, but Kind of want to see it first. 3-0 and right now is a nice start, but how they play against Utah State will tell us a lot more about this team. And finally, the last game I want to talk about uh, in today's show, Georgetown versus LMU. This game has taken place in Jamaica. Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas are heading to Jamaica to take on Stan Johnson's LMU Lions. Always fun to see non-Gonzaga teams in the WCC taking on opponents like Georgetown, Big East, Power Six Conference teams. Very fun to see that opportunity. Georgetown, of course, coming off a pretty horrific season last year. Uh, they are 100, or excuse me, 97th in Ken Palm as of this conversation. LMU 151st, so not 
not a terrible mismatch necessarily. LMU is very close to being undefeated on the season. They blew a game against UC Riverside, a game they should have won, a game they were up very handily in, and they ended up letting Riverside come all the way back and defeat them. That one's going to sting for a long time. I'm sure LMU would be very happy to absorb that ugly Big West loss if they could pair it with a win over a Big East program, even if it's Georgetown, which is certainly not the program near the heights that they have been early in their history, of course, in the 90s with Takemi Matumbo, Alonzo Mourning, uh, and that very successful time period. They haven't been that in a while, uh, but obviously it'd be really great for LMU to pick up a victory against a Big East team like Georgetown. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Enjoy the game on Wednesday, Zags fans. Don't forget to check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast, five days a week, daily national show, all about college hoops, brought to you by my yours, yours truly, as well as Isaac Shade, the host of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast. We're co-hosting the show. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. Also go on YouTube, search Locked On College Basketball, and hit that subscribe button. Thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.